Hello, it's Steve here, and I'm recording this on a warm Friday afternoon. It's a bank holiday weekend this weekend, so we're all looking forward to a nice long weekend. It's been raining most of the week, but it was sunny this morning. It's not sunny now, but I believe it's going to be quite nice weather for the, for the weekend and for the next week or so. Anyway, welcome to this week's podcast. And in today's podcast, I'd like to speak about my experience of one-to-one English lessons. Some are good experiences, others not so. After the musical interlude, I'll give you a few examples and also a couple of suggestions to try to get your one-to-one lessons off to a good start, even with the most reticent students. One of the teachers in my first adult EFL school was moving abroad with her husband. She saw how interested I was in teaching and the effort that I'd put into preparing and teaching lessons. I was fairly new to teaching then and would always do cover lessons if possible in order for me to gain experience. So this teacher asked if I would like to take over her private student. I'd teach the student on school premises, but the financial transactions would be between me and him. I was hoping that we could have the lessons in a classroom. However, the space reserved for our one-to-ones was behind the bookcases in the main office. This was a little off-putting, as the office staff were dealing with students in person and on the phone. There was very little privacy for the lesson, My one-to-one student was a businessman. I can't remember where he worked or what he did, but I knew he was a businessman. And as I had a background in business, I thought it would be good experience for me to teach the one-to-one lessons. You will be advised through various textbooks and courses when you're a teacher that at the start of a series of lessons, you should do a needs analysis with your students whether it's one-to-one or group. Many times, myself, and I'm sure a few other teachers, have been told by the student or students that they're not sure, or they don't know what they want to learn, and can you, the teacher, help them? There are other students who tell you they need language for negotiations, meetings or interviews. But I found, and still find the majority of the time, There is a lot of digging for the teacher to do before they arrive at a satisfactory needs analysis. Back to my business student. He didn't really know what he wanted, although he did attend lots of meetings in English. So I suggested we have a look at English for meetings. Perhaps if he could tell me as much as he could about the specific meetings he was attending, that I could help with the vocabulary and grammar the stuff he required for his meetings and perhaps in a future lesson we could have a mock meeting in order for him to get some practice and then perhaps we could have a look at the subject of small talk too. That sounded like a plan to me, except this student wasn't really interested in my suggestions. He seemed to have an obsession with the grammatical structure, which is sometimes referred to as 
the second conditional. You know, the one, the, the one with the hypothetical or unlikely situation. For example, if I won the lottery, I'd buy a new house. Or if I had a million pounds, I'd buy a new car. He was obsessed with this. I didn't know why the student had this obsession, and I never found out. But for at least three weeks, we, we spent all the lesson on that feature of the English language. After a few weeks, the student told me that he didn't want any more lessons. And please, can I not contact him at work or let any of his colleagues know that he'd been having lessons? I never heard from him again after that. And as far as I know, nor did anyone else at the school. I was quite glad he called an end to the lessons because sometimes the lesson can be boring for the teacher as well as the student. It does very much depend on the student on how enjoyable a lesson can be. Sometimes the teacher can have sufficient material and a well-planned lesson. But if the student has been instructed to take lessons by parents or employers, their involvement can be less than enthusiastic. In a group lesson, you can generally pair the student off with the hope of interaction with another learner. In a one-to-one -one class, it's just you and them. But if you fail to engage them, it can be a very long lesson. You can look at the clock and it says five past two. An eternity seems to pass. And you look at the clock again. It just says ten past two. No matter what you try and do, you just cannot seem to motivate the student. You get the feeling as the teacher that even if you arranged a big party or a concert in the classroom with the most famous rock stars in the world, you get the feeling that the student's reaction will be, yeah, so what? It can be like that sometimes. Most of the time, if you plan it well and personalise it well, both the teacher and learner will enjoy the lesson. Best of all, the learner will be motivated and look forward to their next lesson. Even better, they may even be so impressed that they book further lessons with you. My second one-to-one -one student in my career was an, an, was an official school registered student and was very different from my first experience of one-to-one -one teaching with the businessman I mentioned earlier. My second student was a poet from a country in Eastern Europe. I had never met anyone from this country before, and I'd never met a poet before, so I was curious to see how we would interact. I needn't have worried, as she was one of the loveliest students I've ever taught. Unfortunately, it was such a long time ago now, but I've forgotten her name. I think she was making presentations at various universities or schools around the world or around Europe and had written some speeches. I wanted to practice reading them out loud and for me to correct her pronunciation and help with her presentation. Also, she wanted conversations, general English conversations, so she wanted to talk a lot about English literature and poetry, which was fine with me. You can have a great time in a lesson with a learner to the extent you feel guilty about enjoying the time you're spending together 
as it seems more fun than actually working or teaching. But if your student is enjoying it too, there's lots of motivation and learning. And you can encourage learner autonomy by setting the learner's task for homework. These don't have to be sets of exercises, grammar or vocabulary exercises to be completed. It could be a task, such as asking information in a tourist bureau, or asking for information in a tourist bureau, I should say, asking for something specific in a shop, or asking for directions to a local museum or gallery. Or get your student to discreetly listen to a conversation in a cafe or bar to see how much of the language they can pick up. Often my students would return to me the next day ask questions about the language they had overheard the previous evening. It also gave them speaking practice as they had to describe to me the context in which they had heard the language. This makes good use of the first two language skills, listening and speaking. Having had both good and not so good experiences one-to-one -one teaching, I equipped myself with a number of strategies to help personalise the lesson and hopefully keep the student motivated. I'll talk about that next. I've had to record this segment a number of times because there were lots of motorcyclists revving their motorcycles earlier on and then I live quite near a hospital and there were lots of emergency vehicles going past with sirens blaring. I think we're back to a nice bit of tranquility now though. So back to the one-to-one -one lessons. I think it's always useful to have an up-to-date map on the classroom wall or you can probably search for a map of a specific country on the internet and depending on the resources in your classroom you may be able to display it on a computer screen or an interactive whiteboard screen. For an introductory lesson you can start by asking the student about their country and if they can point to their town on the map. Ask them to tell you a little about this region. Sometimes you may have to do a little research in order for you to prepare question prompts for the student. Perhaps asking about how far it is from the capital. Do they work locally or do they have to commute into the city? How does your student commute to work? Do they think the traffic situation is better or worse than in London? or whatever city you happen to be teaching in. What type of food originates from the learner's home region? What are the ingredients? What's it made of? And if I, the teacher, want to go to the student's country, where do they recommend I should visit? Perhaps research some of the famous and not so famous cultural icons of this country. Ask the students to tell you about them. When I say cultural icons, I mean perhaps buildings, locations, famous TV stars or film stars from that country. As I say, ask the student to tell you about them. Also, without seeming to pry, ask the student about their family life. All the information you receive here will assist in the personalisation of the topics for the lesson and does seem to motivate the students in the majority of cases. As you're personalising the lesson and you're treating the student as a person rather than just another student. And as I say, if you're asking about family life, you have to be tactful and diplomatic. And of course, I'm speaking from my experience.
Sometimes a teacher feels they have to talk to fill the void of silence. We've all done this, especially when first starting out. If the teacher is talking, a student might not talk either out of respect for the teacher or it means the student doesn't have to make an effort. Of course, this is wasting valuable lesson time. So I have this remedy. In the first few lessons, I greet the student and make small talk with them. It's always me as the teacher who instigates the first conversation. Once the student is used to me and the format of my lesson, I tell them that in the next lesson, I expect them to instigate the conversation. They look concerned at first, but once they've tried, the student seems to enjoy taking charge of the conversation and starting the conversation. They might need prompting the first few times, but then they become used to it. Of course, as the teacher, you don't have to give truthful personal answers to the student's questions if you don't want to. Just make sure the information you give is interesting and leads to the student wanting to take the lead in the conversations. So this takes us to follow-up questions. I like to use follow-up questions in one-to-one -one lessons, but I also like to teach my group students how to use them. The most important thing to remember is to avoid yes-no questions. Questions that might just have a one-word answer are fine, as long as you can develop the questions from there. For example, the teacher could ask, which country are you from? The student answers, Japan. The next question from the teacher would be, which city? The student says, Osaka. The teacher then asks, how far is that from Tokyo? And continues. Once the student is used to the idea of follow-up questions, get them to use the same process on you. In group classes, I like to put the students in pairs and make it a little competitive by telling them that they have to continue to ask each other follow-up questions until one of them can think of no more. Do seem to enjoy this task. Right, that's all for this time. So thank you very much for listening, wherever you are in the world. And if you've subscribed, thank you very much for subscribing. I'll be back again soon, but it might be a bit later than usual, as next week it's half term, and I also have the decorators in. Until then, take care, stay safe, and keep well. Bye bye.